0: You are listening to the Boss Businesses Surgery Series podcast with Dr. Amy Vertries, episode number four, a truly critical episode for all surgeons, really all doctors. We often don't recognize the stress of litigation until we're so far lost we can't find our way. Dr. Laura Fortner, the MedMal coach, offers us some critical information and steps to help all of us deal with what seems to be an inevitable consequence of our job. Okay. It's Amy Vertries here again. I have a special guest here. I'm here with Dr. Laura Fortner. She is the medical or she's the med mal coach. She specializes in coaching those going through or anticipating a medical malpractice claim. All right, Dr. Fortner, please tell me a little bit more about yourself.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much, Amy. I'm super excited to be on today. Um, Yeah. So I, Personally, I'm OBGYN, I am a hospitalist at the moment, and I've been practicing for over 21 years, I have a family, Um, we live in rural Ohio, have four kids, and I was hit with a medical malpractice lawsuit about eight years ago, um, that really just um, rocked my world, um, shook me to the core, I didn't know how to handle it myself. And um, I've been through the entire gamut of the legal system um, as a physician um, and a defendant, you know, served twice, (laughs) being dismissed, um, being back on, then going to trial um, and then appeal after appeal. And so I have run the full gamut of it. It's been almost a decade that it's gone on. And one of the things that I know um, that, you know, that I, one of the things that happened with me that I realized, you know, I have to share this message with physicians in particular and um, through MedMal is the fact that, you know, we have no resources. Like we, you know, go through this and we have our lawyer and that's about it. We don't know any part of the legal system. And there is something called litigation stress. 95% of us go through it when we are slapped with a medical malpractice lawsuit and we don't know how to deal with it. And it's a real entity and I didn't know how to deal with it. So I've been through the whole gamut of, you know, thinking I needed counseling to therapy to, you know, EMDR. And, um, you know, I found coaching and how to help people help myself basically thrive through this case. and no matter what the outcome would be. Um, and then I just felt like this was such a needed thing that I needed to give to other physicians.
0: Yeah. You said a couple of things on there that are really fantastic. Um, you know, the first thing that kind of sticks out to my mind is, uh, you know, this idea of no matter what the outcome I'm going to be okay. Um, and I think that's the most important thing to keep in mind because, you know, we're only right there in the moment, uh, you know, we can look back and we could punish ourselves, we could look forward and punish ourselves. You know, It's in the moment that we have the most control over how we feel and what we do. Um, and so I think this idea of, of deciding ahead of time that no matter what the outcome is, I am gonna be okay. I think that was absolutely just such a huge point that you just made that I think is probably the most important piece uh, I would guess um, about a malpractice, just even just a threat of it.
1: Yeah. And I think what happens with us as physicians, I mean, we have a culture of perfectionism in what we do and, you know, uh, do no harm is our motto. Right. And when something happens, even if it's a complication of surgery or complication of, you know, a medication or whatever it may be, it, it, most of the time it's not medical negligence. Most of the time, it's not something that we did wrong. Um, but, because of how we're trained and what the our culture is as medical uh, profession in general we mix up what we do with who we are and so when this happens when a lawsuit happens to us it becomes deeply personal because we have that mixed up and embedded into each other and it's hard for us Like I couldn't get over the fact and say I was okay going through the process. Like I didn't know how to do that because of all the things that we, we, you know, even when there were no mistakes made, we start thinking maybe there was something I did wrong. Right. We start doubting and we have a lot of fear. Fear comes up because we think about, gosh, what's going to happen with our malpractice rates after this is over? Like what's going to happen to my income? Am I going to be able to continue to practice? Like all of those things, we have that fear of what's going to happen in the future. And it's really powerful, like you said, to be able to learn how to be in the now and be at peace with whatever happens. And that is learned. That's, that's actually, it's not something that, um, you know, someone has and another person doesn't have it, right? It's we can teach that. And that's, what's powerful about it to take that control back because we feel like we're so out of control when something like this happens.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it makes sense why we would feel out of control because, you know, just kind of pointing out again what something that you said that was so profound is like, you know, what we do, we equate what we do with who we are. And so we're identifying with this outcome that we don't have as much control over as we would like. Um, and, you know, that fear of, of all the things. And so not only do we attach it to our identity. So there's the fear of our identity. There's a fear of the rates and the income, and the practice, but really, it's the fear of, you know, there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's, I mean, it's hard because, you know, you could lose your rates and your income and your practice, but you got to walk around with yourself the whole
1: time. Mhm. Yeah, it's really the fear of losing ourselves and our identity and, and feeling like an imposter. I mean, walking around and the problem with the medical profession as well, which I think is a huge problem. This is why I'm a big advocate to speak out about this topic is it's so taboo to talk about. No one is talking about it. We are told as soon as we get served. So, let me just tell you the story, you know, one of the things that happened with me is I got served right around Christmas. And on a vacation, on it, at my house, knock on the door. My little kids were in tow. I opened the door and the sheriff serves me these papers and lawyers do this just to play on your emotions. They know that doctors are, have servant hearts. They have, you know, have compassion and empathy and, and they knew they play on who we are as people. And, and I just remember like getting those papers and falling apart, like, locked myself in the bedroom and just bawled my eyes out because it was so alarming, so distressful. I was angry and fearful and, um, feeling ashamed all at the same time. Like I just had so much emotion in that. And, you know, when these things happen, we, um, we don't know how to control these emotions. And this is litigation stress. I mean, this is a real entity and litigation stress, it go untreated and continues down the path can turn into something called medical malpractice stress syndrome. This is a real syndrome in the DSM.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me a little bit. I don't understand like, um, some of the, the symptoms, like how would I, how would I know if I was feeling litigation stress
1: yeah. Yeah. So some of the things are, you know, I even, um, I, I think there, there's a couple of things. So one is any of these whole host of emotions and they come up with triggers that go on. So sometimes initially when you get hit and served, you continually think about this for days and days and days, you start to ruminate on the case. You look through every single detail you, you know, um, you know, just, um, start to, um, you, you go through the motions of like, You know, the emotions of feeling fear, anger, anger is probably the very first emotion that people get, and they can't get over that emotion right away. It's like that angry downhill spiral of telling yourself a story. Like I did everything for this patient. I bent over backwards for them and this, and they're doing this to me. I've sacrificed my entire life for medicine. I have given up seeing the first steps of my babies, going on field trips with my kids, you know, um, not being able to go to all the soccer events, the basketball games, all of that stuff. I gave all that up for medicine. And this happens. And this anger just stews. And um, so, so anger, I think, is the biggest thing that shows up first, but then downhill spiral can finally go to shame and feeling shame. Um, And that is such a strong, ugly emotion that's really hard to overcome. But any, you know, two to three of these emotions that you are continually having and overthinking and over ruminating about the case, if you're continually doing that, you most likely have litigation stress. I mean, it's just all of those emotional um, things um, that come into play and the triggers that may happen. And some triggers are like, you know, for me, I still get this today and this has been going on for a while, but I can get myself in a good place. But if I get a confidential letter on my desk, I automatically get heart racing. I don't want to open it. I feel like, oh my gosh, what is this? Is This is not, am I getting served again? You know, um, confidential letter, you know, or if I get an email from my lawyer, you know, got to open up the email and see what's going on with the case. Like, and when all those emotions and physical symptoms, so physical symptoms could be like, you know, nausea, stomach upset, heart palpitations, you know, jittery, um, feeling on edge, irritability, all of those things that plus the emotional reactions combined, um, give you litigation stress. And like I say, if it tips over to the point where you have major depression, anxiety, um, and, uh downward spiral that can be medical malpractice stress syndrome
0: and you can see how this would happen too you know the because i, and I thought your point was really great about they came to your house so mm-hmm. not only is your work not safe your home is not safe you know it, it brings you know into your identity it brings it into your home um and now every aspect that you're touching you know, leads you to like feeling this over and over again um mm-hmm. and another point um, that thought was interesting um, having coached someone who, you know, was, was trying to figure out how to stop checking all the time, you know, stop checking the chart, stop checking the chart. And, you know, what we kind of came up with is that the reason that she was checking the chart all the time is that she was looking for the validation, like, am I a good doctor? You know, and the problem with that is like the next vital sign is not going to tell you if you're a good doctor. And, And if it did, you're at the mercy of whatever that that vital sign is though. Now you have to check again. And now you have to check again because your internal source of, um, awareness of who you are and your worth as a person, you have now abdicated to someone else. Um, often something that you can't control.
1: Yeah. So true. So true. I think, um, you know, one of the things that I wanna really educate people about is the stats, especially the physicians. Cause I think you guys don't know the stats mm-hmm. and, um, and really um, first of all, The reason why we have multiple triggers and those emotions plus physical symptoms come back time and time again is because the average length of time of a case is 4.7 years. So it's not like these cases come and go very quickly. It never happens that way. And especially even if they're getting dismissed, even if you got named and you really didn't lay a hand on um, the patient, because a lot of times physicians do get named when they haven't even seen the patient, by the way, but, but it's still distressful for that person. Because their name is still attached to that, and it can take years for that name to get off of the case. So, um, so that, and I think the other thing is, you know, here's the stats, and the stats are really, um, I think, powerful to have this knowledge. And I think that as physicians are training, they need to understand this because in low risk specialties, which is like pediatrics and family practice and those kind of fields, your chance of being sued. Um, if you practice, um, through, you know, to the age of 65 it's 75%. Wow. Or a high risk specialty it's 99%. So you essentially there's, you're going to get sued. And, and the, we don't think that, I mean, that's, what's so funny about it. Right. We come out of med school residency. We think we're infallible. Like it's not, it wouldn't happen to us. Right. We know what we're doing. We're compassionate people. We're communicating well with patients but it's the stats show it's going to happen no matter what you do. And, um, you know, you could have done and given the best care. And that's what also shows is actually the physicians that have the most knowledge actually tend to get sued more than, um, those who don't. And, um, it really boils down to, I mean, some people ask me, you know, how do you avoid litigation or avoid this? And, um, you know, and we're taught, I think communication is the number, one of the number one things we could do is have a good communication and relationship with the patients, but sometimes it doesn't matter if you do that, right. It's. It doesn't matter. It still can happen. So I just want to point that out that I want to normalize the conversation because, like I said before, it's so taboo to talk about. We're not allowed to talk about it because our lawyer tells us we're not allowed to talk about it. And then we're walking around the hallways of the institution, the hospitals, and we're feeling isolated, alone, ashamed of what's going on. We're fearing what our colleagues would think if they would know. And they're walking around feeling the same thing because they've been sued too. And no one's talking. And that's crazy to me. Like most of the clients that I work with are like, I want a community of people that are going through the same thing I'm going through and knowing this is normal. Like just normalizing the conversation can be, can be powerful for us as a medical community. And I really relate to this too. Like, you know, I gave a talk um, a couple months ago and the physicians were like, me too, me too, me too. And they all chimed in that they all had been sued and no one knew it before that. That's so, so it was, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But it really is helpful. And it just, you know, um, healing, one of the concepts of healing, just by sharing what's going on. And of course, if the case is going on, they can't talk about details, but they can talk about emotions. They can talk about what they're going through with their families and the relationships of the, the people around them. They can talk about those things. So, that in itself i just lost my train of thought amy i, I
0: can't remember I, i'll pick it up though because you know i think that you have such a great point there's two points that i think that are really really helpful in that and and one is the idea of of shame and you know the, brene brown of course talks so much about shame and the the very thing that she mentions is that shame does not survive the light of day and you know when we're isolated when we're forbidden from talking about these cases then, you know, they do sit in a dark corner and there's nothing, you know, they can continue to grow because we're not you know, dealing with them at all. Um, and then they just create this life for their own. They create their own narratives, their own stories. It gets weaved into our day, you know, just like, you know, in the home and at work. Um, and there's, and, and as long as we don't shine any light on it, of course, it's not going to go away. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that another aspect of uh, healing is that, um, the book, What Happened to You, uh, Winfrey, and uh, I think it's Dr. Perry, where they talked about um, the healing from trauma is the ability to have the control to approach that trauma and little snippets that we can control and heal a little bit at a time.
1: That's yeah. the venting.
0: That's the communicating. You know, the the talking about how to heal from these events. It doesn't necessarily have to be these big, you know, life altering things. But certainly, like the ability to shine light on it, to approach it in ways we can control and heal a little bit at a time is something that's really robbed from us in the process.
1: Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Is like. Just bearing witness to what is going on with you to someone that has been through the same thing is healing in itself because that, and that's where the community of like having doctors, you know, come together and support each other as they're going through it. Because, you know, my case still hasn't resolved yet and, and it's been so long and, and that's what everyone is faced with and the longevity of these cases and needing a support group. Right. And so tell me a little bit about how, so this is going on for 10 years and it's
0: still not resolved. Is that right?
1: Crazy.
0: So, um, but at the same time, it's so interesting how something good can come out of something, you know, Mm. traumatic because, you know, tell me now about the work that you've done, like, how did you discover this and how have you kind of embraced this for yourself and kind of turned this sort of hero's journey, this plot twist into something pretty remarkable.
1: Yeah, so I, I, it wasn't easy. Okay, so I'm not gonna paint a pretty picture. I mean, I I did have a lot of ups and downs, and I searched for healing for myself. And what what I did was I found coaching. And what I love about coaching is it really helps brain it's brain science and for those physician nerds like it is brain science it really helps you learn how to control the thro- thoughts that are coming in the stories that you're telling yourself and once i figured out how, that th- this was a powerful tool i actually went and got certified to just heal myself i wasn't planning on doing a business or anything like that i wasn't looking for that i was looking for the healing for myself and learning how to take the tools that they teach us for my own self. And in the process of doing that, I woke up one day saying, you know what? I, I have to help other physicians. Like I know how long I've suffered. I know how long it's been. I haven't been at peace with this until now. And I can literally walk away today saying I'm so at peace, no matter the outcome of this case, it doesn't matter anymore. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't say that um, probably a year ago, I could not say that until I found this. So, and I know so interesting because, uh, as we've, we're in the midst
0: of a coaching revolution, you know, I think it's like profoundly amazing, you know, and it's, it's interesting, but I think a lot of people have like a little bit of a, a negative vibe about it. And, you know, uh, my opinion, I'm interested in yours as well. My opinion is that coaching is just mind work. It's been around as long as we've had brains, you know, it's tools that we were never taught and why would we turn this away? Um, but that's my opinion of it. Tell me your thoughts of our coaching.
1: Yeah. So funny. I totally get it because, I, I remember saying, <laughs> I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago, I remember saying I would never do coaching. Like that would never work. Like, what is that? That's foo-foo stuff. Like I get it. Like I totally, if you're skeptical, I was right there with you. But I think at the end of the day, I started to ask myself, what if it did work? Because I was suffering and I continued to suffer because of the thoughts of, you know, Uh, my whole, you know, mixing up who I am with what I do and just the whole angst of giving my all to medicine for my whole life. And now this is happening and how could this be happening? And I did all this stuff for this patient and, you know, the whole gamut. So I think when you're suffering and you suffer enough, you decide, well, if this is, what, if this works, I might as well give this a go because I've tried everything else. I love it. You know, just simply asking yourself the question, what if this didn't work? How amazing is that?
0: Um, yeah. And it, this is really so interesting because I was talking to a psychiatrist um about, you know, we were just talking about, she's a coach as well. And, you know, I was like, what do you think that you would have to offer the surgeons? Like, what is your take on surgeons in particular? And she said, you guys are so interesting. <laughs> and I was like, oh no. Okay. Just go ahead. Tell me, <laughs> but she's like, you know, You're logical, you're used to pushing aside all of your emotions, you know, the uh, a little bit more of the the black and white. There's really a little bit of a need for perfectionism. We have such high stakes um, that we've really pushed aside a lot of these thoughts and feelings and things like that, too. Um, And she says, but, you know, it doesn't go away. And so what happens is, and this is why I was so fascinated by your description of litigation stress, is that maybe the first thing that we see are these physical manifestations of it, the nausea, the upset, the palpitations, I can't sleep, I'm feeling jittery, I'm feeling irritable. Um, And it's because we were not taught how to express our feelings or express our thoughts. It just wasn't safe to do so in many of the environments that we had. It was viewed as weakness. And, Mm -hmm. but of course the body keeps the score, you know, it does, it's going to show up somehow. And so I think that your description of litigation stress is for us, maybe, maybe we're not ready to ask ourselves if we're doing okay, we could maybe ask ourselves, how do you feel? <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that you point out such a good thing because we as physicians, for sure, I don't think have ever learned how to process emotion, how to, I mean, we're, we have, we're, it's the mentality of you just get back up and you just do it again. Like whether there was a bad occurrence or something, a complication just happened you know, in the prior um, patient and you have to go to the next room and then be happy. You know what I mean? Like we were taught how to just suppress our emotions. We had no idea about how to process them. And this is so important. This is why um, I really believe it stalled out my healing because of the fact that I never processed my emotions. I always shut them down. And at some point it bubbles up to the point of, um, you're just, you know, you get to a point where your resentment and you can't get over things, you know, so. Exactly. And it's so interesting because I know that,
0: uh, I too, you know, had my own doubts about coaching. I was like, I would never get one. I would never be one. And well, look, here we are. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I think you know, and it goes down to, and I just love this this question that you have. Is like you know, you get to the point, where you're like, well, what if it does work?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, what do you have to lose? Like that's what yes. I, at that point I'm like, I'm emotionally distraught. Like I just, I want to feel better about my life. I want my purpose back in medicine. I want to feel good about what I'm doing. And here's the other thing is when this stuff happens to us, we start second guessing everything we do. We over, we play defensive medicine a lot of times and we're ordering more tests. We're doing more than we should be more than needs to be. But it's just because of that fear. And, um, you know, again, it's just like, you know, what if you can get your life back? Because I felt like I kind of lost my way for a while.
0: Yes. And I think that's another good point, too. Like, what if I could get my life back? And it's kind of acknowledging the fact that we've given our life away to it. Um, And Mm. some of that is our mentality with training. And then this feeling that they took it from us along because they could come to our house, they could come to our work, they can shut us down, they could keep us from talking. You know, they it kind of creates definitely this victim villain kind of thought that we don't have a lot of control. Um, So it it certainly makes sense that, you know, the the goal that we find ourselves in is how do I get my life back? Because I see that it's slipped away. So, so fascinating. Um, so, I know that we've talked before that you've seen some common themes in people going through. And I know that we've probably talked about a majority of these things. But, and I know that like this takes wi- a while, it doesn't happen overnight. So, it takes a while um, to go through this. So, tell me a little bit about I know that you have a really well thought of program. Let's say that I am listening to this podcast and I think, oh gosh, that is me. I'm upset. I have palpitations, I'm feeling jittery, jittery, I'm feeling irritable. I may not get sued, but I'm worried about getting sued. What should I do now?
1: Yeah, great question. I So first off, um, I would seek um, help in terms of, well, make sure, before you go into that, make sure that you have obviously alerted the people, like you looked at the chart, you think this person might sue, make sure that the quality, um, at your hospital knows this, um, and you've reached out to the right people in terms of your med insurance, and they know that, okay, the second step is start talking about it. And I would encourage you, like, sometimes your spouse or significant other could be a great resource to talk to. Sometimes not. My husband is non-medical. It was not as helpful for me. Um, I mean, he was great and he was supportive, but it didn't work in terms of, like, me healing. And I would encourage you to reach out. I have great free resources that you can get on my website um, and get the seven, seven common um, medical malpractice myths, as well as, you know, how to avoid litigation. And so some of the things that you can do to avoid litigation, and this is to move forward now, one would be, um, I always talk about this, but processes in the office are super important and down to the details. So like, if you're a surgeon, your uh, front staff answers the phone in the same way. They writes the notes in the same way. You know, all the telephone calls are in the same way. The, um, how you um, schedule a surgery, how you prep for surgery. There's a system for all of that. And it's very systematic and not messy. Patients really think they look down upon, you know, when they walk into an office and it's very messy and it's disorganized and they feel not confident in what they're doing. Okay, so processes in place are very good. Charting, super important. Um, You know, there's great courses out there to help you with your charting to avoid litigation. But charting is everything when it comes to a trial. And what is in that chart is what they go on. And so when there's missing pieces, they can make up stories. (laughs) Lawyers are very good at that.
0: Yes, I've seen that. Oh, I see that you had some misspellings here. Are you always this careless in your work?
1: Yes. Yes, exactly. So it's very, you want to be meticulous. You want, and now with the EMR, it's a little easier to do that, right? I mean, it's more time consuming for a lot of us, but it is easier to be consistent on your notes. And I would encourage you to make sure you're consistent with you know, the type of person that you're seeing, that's the type of note you're writing for that person, you know, like be very consistent with that. And then the third thing is communication and being really effective. And what I tell people, if there's a bad outcome, so for this person that, that they're, fe- they're fearful of getting sued, something happened or complication, and this patient maybe came and got their records from the office. That's what happened to me. That was the first trigger that I was like, oh my gosh, these people came and got all their records. You know, this also gives you palpitations, feeling emotionally distraught, um, over that. Right. And so, um, but if the person comes back into your office, here's what I want you to do before you walk in, before you walk into that patient's room, I want you to sit in their shoes and get perspective on how they're thinking and feeling right now and walking in that way. Can ensure that you're not defensive. If you're defensive in any way, it can go downhill very quickly. And so, you know, they may question you, they may ask a bunch of questions and those kind of things. And when you come from a place of compassion and love for that patient and just thinking, gosh, this patient is going through a rough time, like they just had this complication, I feel for them, right? Um, and this is not admitting that you did something wrong this is having compassion that a complication occurred because we know in medicine complications do happen. I mean, that's why we have informed consent. That's what's on the consent. Right. So it's, it, it, you know, or if a medication error, or whatever, like, and we all are human by the way, right. To err is human. Like we're not perfect and it is normal to make a mistake. Yeah, it I- is normal. Tell me one physician that has never made a mistake, that they don't exist. Exactly. And I think that we should change this do no harm to do, do as little harm as possible. (laughs) Yes, totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, but that's, I think one of the most important things is if you get back in front of the patient or if the patient comes back is really sit in their shoes and get perspective from their point of view. Right. Now let's say, so That's
0: how I guess someone initiates like how to deal with this if they're starting to feel some of these symptoms, you know, like the fear of this and, you know, some of that litigation stress symptoms that you're describing. What about the person who gets served the papers and they're ruminating and now it sounds like they progressed to the second stage what would you advise them to do at that point.
1: Yeah. So you definitely need help at that point. I mean, I would encourage you, you can, um, hire a coach. I would, that that's one of the biggest things I would do. If you feel like you have major depression and don't want to get out of bed and have more significant, severe symptoms of medical malpractice stress disorder, we would want you to see psychiatry, you know, go see a psychiatrist. Now, many physicians won't do this. Just being honest, they won't do it because they don't want it on their record. All those painful questions that get, on all the privilege applications of hospitals and boards and, you know, all those questions about your mental health, we as physicians get on these things. Um, Many of us don't want to um, have to answer that we have sought medical help. And this is why a coach is great because they're not medical help. Um, They're not your medical professional. They are a coach. When you hire me, I am your coach. I'm not your medical professional. And, um, and so, I would advise you to go get help and start talking to someone because it, it just, it will just continue down the slope. It doesn't get any easier from my own experience. Listen to me, like it doesn't get any easier. Um, <laughs> and I've tried everything. So I, I, I would encourage you to go get support right away.
0: And how about a therapist?
1: Like when do you choose a coach when you choose a therapist mm-hmm. or can you do both? that's a good, you can do both. And I would actually encourage both. Um, if you, I would tell people therapy is awesome. If you need medication treatment, if it's gotten to the point where you're not able to function, we, you probably need to get on, um, or be evaluated for medication. Right. And, um, that's not what a coach does, but I would also encourage you to do coaching at the same time, because coaching can really work for your mental health for being, um, learning the tools in the now and how to control what you can. And um, we don't know how to do this, you guys. So it's um, and this is what we teach. Therapy just sort of talks about um, past and how this has come up and maybe your feelings and things like that. But it doesn't provide you tools usually with how to um, change your thoughts, how to work on the stories that are circling around in your head, how to overcome that rumination that's continually going on, um, those kind of things. So. And I, I um, have
0: some of the same thoughts behind this as well. You know, the, there's certainly like everyone has their lanes. I kind of imagine it more like a Venn diagram though, because I know that the therapists are gonna deal, if you can get past something, you know, if something in the mm-hmm. past is not letting you progress, A therapist is is who we typically recommend and a coach is someone who kind of takes you where you're at and Mm -hmm. optimizes with tools to move forward. Um, And I absolutely agree. I think that when you're reaching that point, having both, um, you know, having like a a, a well-stocked team, you know, having a psychiatrist, if there's a thought that medications may help and there's nothing wrong with medications to help stabilize your mental health if you need it. Um, having a therapist that can help and a coach. And then, you know, you also mentioned a spouse or a trusted friend because, and I think really the role that I see them playing is grounding you in your life um, because it has the ability to take over your entire life. And so having spouses and trusted friends who might you know, that you don't even talk about the event, but they can keep you grounded and remind you of who you are, um, I think is another key person
1: on the team that could
0: help you when you're, you know, kind of, you need a life raft.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you do need a life raft. And I think one of the things too that I teach And I really dive into self-compassion in my work. Um, And I I want you to think about this. Like if something is happening to you and perhaps you get served (laughs) right in your office, because that also happens right in the office in front of everybody and the staff. And if you get served, the first thing, like I said, you should do is make sure your insurance company knows and like, you know, you've talked to a lawyer and those kind of things. But I think really initially, if you have the space to be able to get into your office or go to a safe space, and I want you to, to before you go into all this, you know, because I know you're feeling a lot of emotions and things. I think one of the things that you could always ask yourself is if you're best colleague or best friend is going through the same thing, what would you say to them? I would say to
0: yourself. Yes, it's so much easier to give other people advice than is to take it ourselves. And, and I know that that you know this as well, but the more that we start listening to our inner thoughts, we
1: are not kind to ourselves at all. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> no, we are mean to ourselves. We are mean. And this is where I say, like, if you can stop all the noise and you can remember this one thing of this call, and even if you don't reach out or whatever, I think it's such great work to constantly challenge yourself and say, you know, if my best son was going through the same thing, what would I say to her right now and nice. say it to myself?
0: I think that's great advice. Now, um, and getting back a little bit, and this may be a little bit outside uh, your realm, and that's okay. Um, when it comes to, you know, I hear like, what are the implications for seeing a psychiatrist? People may be afraid of what it has to, to, what impact it'll be on their career? Um, I mean, you have probably experienced this, and I, you know, I, I would not necessarily hold you to anything on this. But what are your thoughts about someone who has the fear of reaching out to a psychiatrist uh, based on what it may happen?
1: Yeah, I think the thing is, is if you, um, if you do have something that's stopping you from functioning, like going to work, getting getting out of bed, um, not sleeping to the point of. Exhaustion to where you are not functioning, you do need to get help. And here's the thing it can be life saving. There are so physician suicide is real. One to two physicians a day commit suicide. And this when when we when there's already burnout going on there's already apathy in the medical community there's always already these things and then a lawsuit is layered on top of all the stuff that we're dealing with as physicians it can tip some people over the edge and so i would advise you to go get help for your mental health and and go seek out you know psychiatry now i know i realize The, this is what happens with most physicians though. They do think it's weak. They do think, um, gosh, now I'm going to have to answer these mental health questions on the next hospital application that I've went and sought treatment and all these things. Here's what I'm going to say. It is changing. The times are changing and this is okay. There, there is no shame in needing a prescription medicine, right? For depression, anxiety in dealing with this. Okay. Um, but if you, like I said, if you, it, like I said, it could be a life raft. It could be life saving for a physician to go reach out for help. And, um, and, and if you're out like if you have people telling you like your spouse, best friend, whatever that you need to go get help, just listen to them because there are signs that maybe you're not even seeing yourself that you really need to do this. And it's not weak. I know it sounds like it is, but it's not weak. And the, the times are changing. We are, a lot of us are speaking out about these unfair questions. And by the way, these questions are not even legitimately allowed on these applications. I mean, there's several bodies of medicine that say that that's against HIPAA, um, in fact. <laughs> and I think actually, I, I don't quote me on this, but I think it's the American Board of Psychiatry States this that these questions should not be on any type of applications, but yet they still are, right? And I think that I 100% agree with you. I think the times are changing for several
0: reasons. We have a Surgeon General currently who has um, advocated, you know, mental health as being, you know, a crisis and important, um, especially in the medical field. And we're living in unprecedented times. You know, we are all not just we're all a little burnt out, a little crispy around the edges. Uh, You know, I, I think that we have always been able to live under um, more stress than is, you know, more traumatic situations than we really should be. Um, and so we have a narrow range of being able to um, live optimally in this. And then we're with these unprecedented times of a pandemic. And just like you said, this might just be the, you know a lawsuit may be the last thing that causes us to break. And so I really wanna applaud all the work that you're doing and the awareness um, the ability to help people even before they know they need help um, as in all the, the coaches here, this coaching revolution that is going on. I think it can only be for the benefit of all physicians as we start to realize what if it works?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. What if it works,
0: right? What If it works. Um, and so now I know that you have a, a website where they, uh, that is the um, where they can find the seven common myths to avoid litigation. Um, any other, uh, thoughts that you want to pass along to folks who may want to, uh, to hear from you?
1: Yeah. Um, just, um, I, you know, go to my website and if you have, um, any questions or anything, you can always reach out to me. It doesn't mean you have to work with me, but I'm happy to help because I'm in, this is more of a movement for me, um, to really get this word out there and become the advocate for, all of us as physicians um, for medical malpractice in general for the next decade for us, so. That's absolutely fantastic. Well,
0: Dr. Forner, um, and also if you need
1: to get in touch with Dr. Forner and you can't find her,
0: you uh, contact me and I'll forward you along as well. So thank you so much, um, so much just profound information in this, you know, I have a feeling that this alone is going to have a huge effect on someone's life. And so thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Forner.
1: Thanks so much, Amy.